This episode of the Jack Vita Show is brought to you by our friends over at CBS All Access. Ladies and gentlemen, the Champions League is just getting going. If you listen to the last episode, I now have a Champions League soccer team to follow. I have a team that I will be rooting for. If you missed that episode, go back, check that one out. That was a really good one with Jonathan Clancy. But if you're a soccer fan and you're or you're interested in getting into soccer, sign up for CBS All Access. It's the exclusive home for the Champions League. It also has a very rich library of great original Nickelodeon, MTV, CBS, CMT, Comedy Central. You go down the list, all the Viacom properties, lots of great shows and Paramount movies, all available on demand on that service. Lately, I've been watching The Real World San Diego, Wild Thornberries, Zoe 101, Survivor, Big Brother, The Challenge, and so many other great shows on there. I got a nice list, and it'll be a good winter. Thank you to CBS All Access. So if you sign up through my link at jackvita.com slash CBS, you'll get a one-week free trial. After that, it's $5.99 a month. I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to want to keep it. So what are you waiting for? Go to jackvita.com slash CBS. Also presented to you by our friends over at Fanatics and the MLB Shop, which is actually a Fanatics affiliate. Both those places are great places to pick up sports apparel. If you want to rep your team with a new jersey, hat, sweatshirt, hoodie, jacket, you name it, go to jackvita.com slash fanatics. If you're wanting MLB licensed apparel, go to jackvita.com slash MLB shop. Fanatics has all the other sports in addition to baseball. They do have baseball stuff, but if you want to go deeper on the baseball side of things, you want to get your LA Dodgers stuff, jackvita.com slash MLB shop. You want your college football, NFL, college basketball gear, go to jackvita.com slash fanatics. And now, let's get to today's show. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to the Jack Vita Show, here for your Monday morning sports update. I'm Jack Vita, and we have a lot to get into. I'm taping this episode on Sunday night, November 1st. Shout out to frequent podcast guest Jonathan Jagger, JJ. He's turning 24 today. It's his birthday, and I intentionally did not wish him a happy birthday through text or phone because I know he loves this podcast so much. So I thought... He'll appreciate this shout out on the air. Welcome, Jonathan. You're welcome. But taping this at 7.30 p.m., the Bears and the Saints game just ended. Last week, I did one of these episodes. It was the first time that I'd ever done a podcast episode all by myself. It was met with positive reviews, surprisingly. People enjoyed it. They suggested I do more of them. And so I decided I will bring you your weekend sports news and take you through it, share some thoughts. I'm going to lead off today in the world of baseball. This news actually comes from Thursday. 
it was after I recorded my episode with Jake Poliga recapping the World Series. The Chicago White Sox have named a new manager, or or some might say old manager, Tony Larusa. After ten years out of the sport at age seventy six, he's already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. He will be making his triumphant return to the White Sox now. Tony LaRussa managed the club from 1979 to 1986. He was the 1983 manager of the year. After leaving the White Sox, he managed the A's and the Cardinals and won three World Series with those clubs. He rode off into the sunset after winning a 2011 World Series. He's worked in Major League Baseball, but he was actually, as I mentioned, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So pretty interesting because the Hall of Fame committee, the voters, the Hall of Famers, they don't like it when people are already put in the Hall of Fame and they come back and they manage and they continue that active role, whether they're an executive, a manager, a player. Typically, it's in this manager spot. There hasn't been much precedent for this. So that's not something that they enjoy very much. But nevertheless, Tony Larusa, great career in baseball. And this came as a big surprise. I remember on the day that it was announced that the White Sox were parting ways with Rick Renteria. That was when I was talking with Albert Destrade. And we talked about, well, who's going to fill this role? Because if they're bumping Renteria, it seems like it must be a situation similar to when Renteria got ousted from the Cubs. There had to be a guy that the Sox had their eye on. We were thinking that guy was A.J. Hinch or Alex Cora. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks with managers and the offseason. If there will be other jobs opening up, if Hinch or Cora will get a job after their roles in the sign ceiling scandals with the Astros and then Cora being involved in some of the stuff with the Boston Red Sox. But this one comes as a big surprise. I don't think anybody thought Tony Larusa, at age 76 was going to be coming out of retirement. This is an interesting hiring because it's a lot of people would say, hey, this sport's changed a lot over the last 10 years. It's much more analytically driven. Old school methods of baseball are going extinct. You have to be able to relate to these young players. And Larusa at age 76, how's he going to relate with this young club? The Sox team is really young and they're just entering their competitive window. So why are you hiring a guy at age 76? Because you should be hiring a guy that you're expecting to manage for at least five, six years. Is Larusa going to be managing at age 81? I don't know. It seems like a situation where for Larusa, you would think, well, this guy's going to come in in two or three years, win now mode. And I don't know if the Sox are necessarily in World Series or bust mentality. I know they want someone who can take them to the next level. LaRussa has won three World Series. He's a Hall of Fame great manager, but it definitely is a little bit of a head scratcher. Having said all of that, Tony LaRussa, despite being an older manager, may be coming, people would look at him as an old school guy. Throughout his managing career, he was always thinking ahead of the curve and trying and daring and doing new things that other managers would not do. I read the book, Three Nights in August. It's a really good book. If you're ever interested in wanting to get inside the mind of a Major League Baseball manager, or 
<laughs> especially in this instance where you want to get inside LaRusso's head now that he's resurfacing. That's a really good book. I recommend it. Throughout the book, you hear some of LaRusso's baseball stories, and you also get inside of how he's managing the ins and out of this series against the Cubs, but also some of the decisions that he makes. That's the 2003 Major League Baseball season. And one of the stories in that book is how Albert Pujols actually got injured. And at the time, I'm old enough to remember Albert Pujols was not always a first baseman. Albert Pujols was playing third base. He was in the outfield and he had an injury. It was on his throwing arm. It was either an arm or a shoulder. I think it was a shoulder. As a result of the injury, he was not able to throw a baseball for about three weeks or so. But he was able to swing a bat. He could do everything else. Now, in the National League, there is no designated hitter. Larusa came up with the idea, what if I put Pujols at first base and he's under tight instructions that he can never throw the ball? He'll hand it off to the second baseman. He'll hand it off to the pitcher. But he can never, ever throw the ball. If he throws the ball, we could lose him for the season. This is a daring move considering that if you have a guy playing first base, he's a baseball player. Pools was a shortstop actually coming up through the farm system. Your baseball instincts might kick in. He might have to make a throw home. It's hard for that guy to have the restraint not to do that and to hang on to the ball and not throw home and to let that run come in. Larusa took a shot in that situation and it worked out for him. Now the Cardinals didn't end up making the playoffs that year. They did win the World Series the next year. But those are the kind of things about Tony Larusa. Even back in 2003, he was willing to take risks and take shots like that. The other thing that I would say is in this current climate in Major League Baseball, where it seems like a lot of these guys that are getting hired are the David Rosses of the world, Jace Tingler. Now, Jace Tingler's team had a great year. A lot of guys, Gabe Kapler, being hired with very limited to no coaching experience. I would much rather have Tony Larusa in my dugout than David Ross. The Sox have the best manager in Chicago. The question is, does he still have it? Is LaRusa still in his prime? And how is this going to turn out? Because it could turn out wonderfully. It could turn out that maybe he chooses to leave after a year or two. Who knows? But I will say, Jerry Reinsdorf has to be the most loyal owner, the most loyal business owner in sports. He's consistently keeping guys way longer than other owners would allow them to be employed. He's bringing guys back from the good old days. He's a loyal guy. If you want a job in sports, you work for you go and you work for the Chicago White Sox because you're going to be employed for a very long time, even if you're not doing your job 100% efficiently. Let's, let's just leave it at that. But the White Sox have a manager, and they're going to be extremely interesting this year. I can't wait. Now, stay tuned for more baseball news. We're going to get some more over the next few weeks leading up to free agency and the winter meetings. But that's all I have for right now. Shift over to our headlines from the world of college football over the weekend. Saturday, another great Saturday. I'm loving having 
just so many great games on. I've I have a double screen set up in my room. It's just the best. You just watch games all day long on Saturdays and Sundays. And we skipped ahead to the conference action right away. And we also skipped ahead to Michigan losing and potentially blowing their shot at the college football playoff. This Michigan loss, they lost 27-24 to Michigan State. Now, going in, I always say, hey, this is a pretty good rivalry. These games are always pretty tight. And after this game, Michigan is now 1-7 in the big house against Ohio State and against Michigan State, their two biggest rivals in the Harbaugh era. So I should have known it'd be a close game, but after what I saw last week, I saw Michigan stop Minnesota in a game that I thought there was a much greater chance that they were going to lose at Minnesota last week than they were going to lose at home against Michigan State, who lost to Rutgers last week. But give some credit to Michigan State. Freshman Ricky White had himself a day. The freshman wide receiver had eight catches for 196 yards and a touchdown. Rocky Lombardi, the quarterback, great name. Great name, by the way. Rocky Lombardi, Michigan State. Big-time performance, 323 yards passing, and Michigan loses. So the natural, the next question, and you're going to hear it all week and probably for the rest of this year, what does this mean for Jim Harbaugh? What does this mean? Now, this is his sixth year, and Michigan hasn't yet to beat Ohio State. They've yet to get into that college football playoff, but every single year they've been interesting. They've been really good. He made the program really interesting. What's going to happen here? I do think that the seat is warming a little bit just because it's year six, and this was an embarrassing loss. I mean, this is right up there. Well, not really, but this this should be up there with that Michigan 2007 loss week one against Appalachian State. You're looking at a team that could win a national championship and they're just they're losing in week two or week one. I think Harbaugh is an easy target sometimes. I think he's a magnet for this type of criticism. I think he's a big personality that's very polarizing. You love him or you hate him. I really like him. I think he's a great character, and I think he's a great guy. I think he runs a good program. Michigan, similar story. They're one of those Duke or Notre Dame type of teams that a lot of people like to root against, especially here in Illinois. So we're going to hear it about Harbaugh for a while. Whether it's fair or not, it's a tough one. I think Michigan's going to have a tough decision. Now, here's where I think we need to back off. It is only week two. And if you've been paying attention to college football this year, we've been seeing teams lose these games left and right. Oklahoma lost two games right out of the gate. Auburn came out looking really good, and they've fallen off very quickly. It's tough to gauge who's good and who isn't because in the case of Oklahoma, they've recovered very nicely, and they look very good once again. You go down the list, but a lot of teams are losing left and right. And we're going to continue to see that because this is such a strange year in college football. Very few of these power programs are playing non-conference games. Big 10, it's only Big 10 on Big 10 action every single week. Same deal with SEC. So as a result of this season, I would not be surprised if the fourth team that gets into the playoffs has two losses. 
So this loss, although embarrassing, could hurt Michigan in the long run. Michigan can recover nicely, and they have some big games coming up. Next week, they're taking on Indiana, number 17 in the country. Indiana, they look really good. More on that in a sec, but they've, they can bounce back. They can win that game. They're going to have some other big games. Wisconsin in a few weeks, but the big one, if they can beat Ohio State on December 12th, and I'll say this, even if that's a game that Michigan wins and they're unable to get into college football playoff because they have two or three losses. I think that if they win that game, Harbaugh's safe because that's what they've been looking for this whole time. You go 0-6 against your biggest rival in what should be a rivalry that goes back and forth, not one that is so one-sided. If Harbaugh can beat them, that keeps Ohio State from playing in the Big Ten Championship, potentially. That could keep Ohio State out of the college football playoff. He saves face. I think his job will be safe. But if he loses that game, it's going to get really interesting really quickly. Now, here's the thing with Jim Harbaugh. And I think he's a great coach, and he makes every situation that he goes to more interesting. And I don't even mean just as him being a character. I mean that when the second he stepped into Michigan football, he brought a lot of energy. He started bringing in some big recruits. Michigan had some all right years during the Brady Hoke era and the Rich Rod era, but they weren't this good consistently. They weren't a contender going into each year. Now, maybe you could say they're a pretender considering that they lose these games, but they also win some big games too. They beat Notre Dame last year in a in a pretty convincing defeat that really killed Notre Dame's season. Harbaugh's had his, had some good moments too, and if you replace him, he's an alum and again great recruiter. Did an awesome job at Stanford. Stanford hasn't been relevant in several years now. If you replace him, you have to make sure you're replacing him with something that's going to get you over the hump and to the next level and not going to set you back to where you were before Harbaugh set foot back in Ann Arbor. Be interesting to watch, but keep we'll keep a close eye on that. As that Michigan game was going on, Boston College was up on Clemson. They had a 23-13 lead. Now, Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID late last week, keeping him out of the game. So freshman DJ Ugalele, maybe we can call him DJ Ukulele. I don't know. It's a hard name to say. I tried my best. He had a pretty good day. He came back, led the Clemson Tigers back. And this was big. I think it was good for Clemson to hit some adversity in this game because next week they're going to be playing at Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence. That's some pretty big news. Trevor Lawrence is not going to be cleared in time to play next Saturday unless something really drastic changes. It sounds like from all indications, he's not, he's out next week. So you're going to be going to a freshman quarterback against a really good Notre Dame team that took care of business once again this week. They beat Georgia Tech 31-13, currently sitting at number four in the polls. They're 6-0, 5-0 in ACC play, their first year playing in the ACC for football at least. So let's say we're favoring Notre Dame by three. If Clemson can push that spread and lose by three or less or win, obviously, 
if they lose and it's close, it's not going to obliterate their chances at the college football playoff. Again, I do think that I don't know if anyone's going undefeated this year. Maybe maybe Alabama. They look amazing. They look great. They routed Mississippi State 41-0. Mac Jones is having himself a year. Him or Najee Harris, which one? Pick your poison. One of them is your Heisman frontrunner. You got to pick one of them. Now, Justin Fields is going to be catching up here soon. More on that in a bit. But I think, again, you look at these teams... You look at the battles that they're going to have to go through in order to get to the college football playoff. I just I think these teams are going to beat up on each other a little bit. So Clemson could lose this game, keep it close, and still get into the playoff. And Notre Dame could get in too, for that matter. It'll be a great game next Saturday, and this is a great thing. It seems we have a, a big one each Saturday of one of these interconference games. I'm so glad Notre Dame's in the ACC. I hope they stay there moving forward. I don't know if that'll be the case, but Clemson comes back. They win that game. Pretty cool that Joe Tessitore was calling the game with his son, John. John Tessitore playing at BC. Pretty cool story there. Ohio State, as I mentioned, they pulled out a victory 38-25 over Penn State. Justin Fields threw for 318 yards with four touchdowns. Justin Fields is making up quick ground in that Heisman race. Oh, he looks so good. He looks so good. Penn State 0-2 now. They lost to Indiana and Ohio State. Now, not an easy way to open the season, but that's 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 that is tough. That is really discouraging for the Nittany Lions. In our Big 12 shootout of the week, Oklahoma State, number six in the country, previously undefeated, fell to Texas. Spencer Sanders threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. It wasn't enough. Ellinger's squad with Texas pulls out that victory in overtime. Oh man, so many good games. That was a that was another good one. Cincinnati at number seven routed Memphis. Now I think this is I know a lot of people don't pay too much attention to the American Athletic Conference, but if you were paying attention last year, Memphis beat Cincinnati twice on back-to-back weeks. They played each other the week before the conference title game. They won both those games. Memphis was really good last year. So for Cincinnati to route them, 49-10, pretty good. You might have to consider Cincinnati as one of those teams to sneak in. I don't think they will get considered just because even though in the American, which according to those commercials they used to air is a power six conference (laughs) i don't think they'll actually get too much consideration ucf came out of that conference went undefeated two years in a row and didn't get into the playoffs either time it's unfortunate i think we need to expand these playoffs eventually to get to eight teams so those teams have a shot I don't like the fact that some teams can lose in the court of opinion rather than losing by playing on the field. That's that's the thing I don't love about college football. But we're going to have some good games this next week. Florida, Georgia, if you're looking for a good SEC tilt, that'll be a good one. Michigan, Indiana, as I mentioned, this is it's imperative for Harbaugh's squad to win this game, to bounce back, and not to be demoralized from that loss. Indiana 2-0 sitting at number 13 in the country right now. It's been a long time since Indiana football has been 
relevant. In fact, I don't even remember the last time they were ranked in my lifetime. Lastly, on college football, I just need to comment on the two teams here in Illinois where I live. Northwestern trending in the right direction. They won their second game, 21-20 at Iowa. It's a good win. Now Iowa falls to 0-2, but Peyton Ramsey, grad transfer from Indiana, has looked good. Their offense looks so much better than it did last year. So much better. They have a new offensive coordinator in there, but they're actually scoring points. They weren't doing that last year. And down in Champaign, the Illinois fighting Illini fall to 0-2. The program looked like it was making some good strides last year. They beat Wisconsin, and I thought they were going to be pretty good this year. At least I thought they'd be solid. But 0-2, losing to Purdue, 31-24, not, not a good place to be for Illinois and for Lovey Smith. And start to wonder, this is year five of Lovey, and I think that he should be given a little more time considering there really was not much of an Illinois history with their football program in recent memory. I mean, you just go back to when they played in the Rose Bowl in 07 with Juice Williams and Richard Mendenhall. But prior to that, again, they haven't been super relevant in my lifetime. So Lovey Smith, got to give it a little more time, but I'm sure the fans are a little impatient because they've put up with a lot of losing for a while. The Wisconsin and Nebraska game was canceled due to COVID-19 cases. I think it was Wisconsin had over 20 cases. So that'll be interesting to see how, if they're able to come back and play this next week. I hate seeing these stories, but hopefully just come out of it better. And you got that herd immunity is the best case scenario. Let's move over to the National Football League for what we saw today. I just watched the Bears lose to the Saints 26-23 in overtime. It was a good but kind of messy game. The Bears fall to 5-3. Saints are now standing at 5-2. And And I have to say, I think it might be time to go back to Mitch Trubisky. And I think that Bears fans are starting to change their tune on Trubisky a little bit. The problem in this situation, I think, for Nick Foles... The Bears' offensive line is one of the worst in the National Football League. It's not a good offensive line. They haven't been able to establish a good ground game this year. It's hard to score points when you have a pocket passer who is very limited mobility-wise with a weak offensive line and with not much of a running attack. The running game, or lack thereof, again, could maybe be traced back to that weak offensive line, but... The reason I say go to Trubisky, Trubisky is mobile. He can make plays on his feet. He can get out of the pocket. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman correctly pointed out a play in overtime where Foles had a chance. If he had Trubisky's jets on his legs, he could have ran for a first down. Can't, couldn't do that with Foles. Now, I think you could really use both quarterbacks, which we don't see too much in pro football. But you can always have Foles lurking, and it could be the type of thing where you just ride the hot hand. Trubisky goes in, maybe he plays good for a couple weeks. Then you hit a game similar to that Falcons game earlier in the year where they're down and he's struggling, and you are facing a defense that doesn't have a very aggressive front seven, and you can go back to Foles. 
in that situation. Maybe you need that pocket passer. He's always done extremely well in relief. He's more of a reliever than he is a starting quarterback. You can't rip Foles too much. I just don't know if this is the best situation for him. And I think Mitch Trubisky gives the Bears the best chance to win games. If they had won this game, they're sitting at 6-2, first place in the NFC North. They're only a half a game behind the Packers. The Bears have a shot. With these expanded playoffs, the Bears have a really, really good shot at making the playoffs. They got to clean some things up. I don't love their offensive scheme. That can be traced back to their coach. But I think it's time. Trubisky time, baby. (laughs) Oh, So the Bears have been going a very long time trying to replace Jim McMahon. Find that permanent answer at quarterback. And it's so weird that there's so many teams like this that go so long without finding a formidable quarterback for a sustained period of time. You see these organizations that are still trying to replace quarterbacks. I'll give you one right now. Miami Dolphins may have found their replacement for Dan Marino finally. (laughs) They always show those graphics on Monday Night Football. They show the teams that uh, how many starting quarterbacks they've had since Dan Marino retired or since the turn of the new millennium. And the Dolphins are always right up there on those lists. Tua Tungavailoa made his first start today, and he looked really good. All of these quarterbacks in this last class have impressed so far. Tua, hey, he beat the Rams. 28-17. 28-17. Justin Herbert has looked better in the pros than he did in college. And Joe Burrow, he got a win today. The Bengals surprised the Titans. They won 31-20. So pretty good year for rookie quarterback so far. And if you're a team like the Cleveland Browns, you say, oh gosh, we're, we're still stuck with Baker who... Baker today, 12 of 25 for 122 yards. It's going to be hard for that offense moving forward without Odell Beckham Jr. Now, they do have Landry. There's still a lot of weapons, but Baker needs to rise up and he needs to play. The Raiders won 16 to 6. Good win for Vegas. Not a good showing at home for the Browns. Back to Tua. He looked really good today. Dolphins are sitting at 4 and 3. So last year, I mean, they it seemed like they were actively trying to lose games last year. They wanted to get tanking for Tua. was a hashtag we were using last year. They got their guy. They're above 500 almost halfway into the season. Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle both exited in the fourth quarter of the Seahawks 49ers games. Tough losses. 49ers have been riddled with injuries all year. Seems like another way that Seattle seems to squeak by and catch breaks. But hey, credit to them. They're now sitting at 6-1. and one. I still don't know how good they are. Not a big-time believer in them come playoff time. But got to give them credit, 6-1. and one. Russell Wilson in a good spot right now for the MVP, in the MVP race. He may be the front runner. Now, what I'm most excited about this week, Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Baltimore Ravens. Steelers are now 7-0. They entered the game as four-point underdogs in Baltimore. Baltimore, I feel like, is another team, and I know I'm going to sound very biased here. I wear my Steelers fandom on my sleeve. Baltimore was favored to win that game, and I understand it. Lamar Jackson won MVP last year. He's an extremely dynamic player. 
I and they're always a good defensive team. But at some point, Baltimore needs to start winning these games that I would say that they're not supposed to win, but they were favored to win today. And they were favored to beat the Chiefs back in week two or week three. They didn't. Baltimore needs to start winning these big games before I can invest in them come playoff time. They've been one and done two years straight now. You're a contender if you win those big games. You're a pretender if you lose them. And I think Baltimore may be a pretender. They were the last two years. We'll see what happens this year. Steelers are 7-0. Last week, they beat an undefeated Titans team. This week, they beat their biggest division rival. Steelers, I'm feeling great about them. My main concern is they need to keep the pedal to the floor moving forward because a lot of times we've seen them finish strong, but they don't typically start this strong. So my one concern is, are they going to start to hit a little bit of adversity and finish the season a little slower? I don't know, but they have some favorable matchups. They play the Cowboys next week. And I have to say, Steelers-Ravens, right now, at least I think for the for the new millennium, best rivalry in the NFL. I was watching that game today. It felt like a college game. And they were making the comparisons to Ohio State and Michigan, except in this instance, the teams kind of go back and forth a little bit. It's not like one is losing to the other all the time. These are always great games. They're always close. They typically hit each other pretty hard, but there's a mutual respect between the two teams. And it was another great one today. I love watching those games. It's always going to be a good one when those two teams play. Well, that's it in terms of sports for the weekend. I hope I caught you up and I hope you are excited moving into this new week. I hope you're staying positive. I want to say one last thing before I sign off today's show. I'll address the elephant in the room. We have a presidential election happening pretty soon. As I record this on Sunday night, we're only about 48 hours from hopefully getting the results of this election. And I know a lot of people have been kind of living and dying by their political party. Some people are really anxious right now. Some people are fearful. I wrote a piece over at my website at jackvita.com, and I wrote about what Ernie Johnson said four years ago in the immediate aftermath of the 2016 presidential election. He said, from one election to the next, I never know who's going to be in the Oval Office. But I always know who's on the throne. And that's my perspective going into this election. Whatever happens, whether we have a Republican or a Democrat, whatever, whoever wins this election, it doesn't change where I stand with God and my trust that God is in control and that that's where I find my hope in. And I'm, I'm a little concerned for the people that are putting so much hope and stock into this presidential election. If you think you're going to be devastated come Wednesday, if your candidate loses, then I hope you can not allow yourself to be that way because half the country is going to have the candidate that they voted for lose. And we got to respond to that appropriately. We can't go out on the streets and start causing violence and throwing a tantrum the way a child does when they don't get their way. We need to offer support to the other side, we need to try to close the gaps and the divides that exist in this country and be positive and, and, and know that politics are an important thing, but not an ultimate thing. 
there are much more meaningful, purposeful things in life that are worth putting your hope into. And this isn't because the more I look at it, while yes, politicians make decisions that influence our lives, a lot of ways it's like sports. Every four years we're having a competition. Someone wins, someone loses. That's how it goes. Sometimes my team loses and I'm bummed, but there's always another season. Four years from now, we're going to have another election. And if your side loses this round, it doesn't mean that we're going to be bowing down to a king for the next 40 years. Our government is not set up that way. Our government is set up with a marketplace of ideas and thoughts. We've gone, in my lifetime, we've had two Republican presidents and two Democrat presidents. We've had a good equal balance of power. Things swing back and forth. Don't lose sight of that, guys. The last four years of my life went extremely fast. Before I know it, I'm going to be podcasting in 2024, and we're going to be, people are going to be stressing out and losing their minds over that election. And hopefully, we'll be looking back and saying, you know what? Whatever that those last four years entailed, they weren't so bad. It's okay. God's in control. And if you want to read more about my perspective on the election, go to jackvita.com. Read the piece there with the picture of Ernie Johnson on it. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be all right. Trust God. Don't worry. We're going to be okay. And I'm here to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for. Again, in my piece, I don't say who to vote for, but I do say that I believe that God's in control. I believe he's sovereign. And whatever happens come Wednesday morning, we're going to have to move on just like a team does. And you'll get another chance to compete two years from now at the midterm election. But for the time being, let's just be civil Let's be kind. Let's realize that the people that we disagree with, we really do have a lot more in common with them than our differences. Once again, guys, we're going to be all right. Stay positive. Keep trusting God. Everything that we've gone through this year, look, this year's approaching its finish line. We're, all, we're about finally finished with the political season. <laughs> That's a big win. We're going to be heading into 2021 pretty soon, and I'm pretty excited about that year. I'm pretty excited about things God is doing right now. It's been a great year on this podcast. I love talking with all of you each week, and I hope you guys are enjoying it. Leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will do a lot of good for this podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, and you'll never miss out whenever there is fresh content available. You can go to my website, jackvita.com, read the pieces I'm working on over there, and you can also subscribe and get email notifications whenever I write a new piece or release a new podcast. Putting in a lot of hard work, and I hope you guys are enjoying it. You can follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Jack Vita Show. Once again, guys, keep your heads up. We're going to get through everything. I will be back with another podcast episode soon. And until then, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.